Hey everybody and welcome to Stealing First um, for the week of June 17th. My name is Matt Kaysen and it is my pleasure to be hosting this show today without my other half, Jesse Walter. Um, this has been quite a uh, stint between shows, at least for me, because uh, we've had so much going on in the past month or so, especially me, and I'm just looking forward to being able to talk about baseball again um you know if this is your first time listening in this is a show where we talk about everything happening in the game of baseball from major league minor league um college but we typically focus on major league baseball because that has the biggest um, news roundup and this is just a chance for us to talk about the game and look at what all is going on around the league and for me, this is my first episode by myself uh, since we started this podcast back in February, and honestly, it's a bit weird because I'm used to being on a uh, FaceTime call with uh, my partner Jesse and having somebody to bounce thoughts off of, and today it's unfiltered Matt Kasin, and that can be really good or really bad, depending on what you all the audience would tolerate so this is gonna be fun I'm really excited like I'm sitting in my chair in my room and I'm just thinking about oh boy this is first time you've spoken by yourself in a closed-off room from everywhere else and you don't even know who's gonna be listening to this sort of like uh, when I did Kennesaw State baseball and softball a couple years ago did broadcasting for them so it's gonna be fun um, but for those listening um, I'm just going to give you a little bit of a rundown on what's happened in my time off. My last episode, if you um, have been keeping track, was I think the first week of May. Because that was the week that Manny Machado and Chris Sale had their um, little uh, bit going on where uh, Chris Sale threw behind Manny Machado. And it's felt like it's been a lot longer since that's happened because... um, We've had so much stuff going on from, you know, Mike Trout getting hurt to um, the Yankees continuing to pull off and do these amazing things. Um, Just a bunch of different stuff. And for me personally, I've been uh, working a new job, which I uh, started doing the first week um, of May and um, just trying to work through that. Um, get acclimated been also been doing a lot of community stuff with my church and honestly it's been tough finding time not only for myself but just to be able to do podcasts or even tweet you know we have a uh, Twitter profile at stealing first pod uh, that's stealing one ST pod and typically I'm on top of that just trying to uh, push out material and try to make it worthwhile not only for me but for whoever tends to pay attention to um, our tweets and you know that's priorities sometimes you know you got to do what you got to do and this is only for fun this is not something I'm planning to get big with I mean if it did I mean that'd be cool I mean so if you guys know anybody that could help me land that big gig with ESPN they had a bunch of layoffs and you know they can always use new young analysts uh, only problem is I'm not a frat boy, but regardless, you know, still, 
could be something big. But anyways, um, looking forward to having this episode. We have a lot of good stuff to talk about, and I hope you guys enjoy the ride. So the first big thing on my agenda for today, um, this is something that's been gaining a lot of uh, headway over the past week, and this is not with a uh, contending team. This is with one that's in second place in their division, but it's the suckiest division in baseball, and that's the NL East, and the team that I'm talking about is the Braves, who are 35 and 38 currently on the season, and surprisingly, they've been an entertaining team to watch. Um, They have one of the most unique offenses in baseball, and um, they have a uh, situation now where they're trying to find a new position for Freddie Freeman, which is something that you could never hear uttered for the Stars' cornerstone piece less than three years ago. He was their first baseman and is their first baseman, but now he may be their third baseman because of their acquisition of Matt Adams taking them off to another level. And uh, Matt Adams, he's been on another planet. He's hit 12 home runs in the 30-something games that he's played with the Braves at 31 RBIs, 297 batting average, and now Freeman, who is slated to come off of the DL in the next few weeks, uh, the plan is possibly after the All-Star break, Freddie is hoping for earlier, um, to move to third base, which is, has, which is, it's been flummoxing the entire uh, Twitter universe, um, especially those in Braves country, um, sports media. Um, Mark Bowman, you know, he keeps posting all of these tweets where he talks about how anytime there's a gold glove play that's made in the infield, whether it's short, second base, catcher, whatever, he keeps saying, oh, Freddie would have gotten that. And uh, it's it's pretty funny because um, just the whole situation, I mean, Freddie Freeman, he's been uh, known as one of the better defenders at the first base position in the league. And... Um, now that they have a guy like Matt Adams who's killing the ball but has no position flexibility whatsoever, he can uh, play first. Um, the Cardinals tried to put him in left field, right field, and that was just a mess. And I would think of it being a mess just because he's a big body guy, not much mobility, just more reliability than a help at um, any other position outside of the first base. But the fact that Freddie Freeman is willing to give up his spot and play third base, which is a position he's sort of familiar with, but the last time he played third base was what I've seen on um, online articles is rookie ball, and that's Gulf Coast League, which is what happens when you get drafted straight out of high school. You go straight into uh, Gulf Coast League, which is like the lowest level for those who are not aware of um, how the minor leagues work, and it's it's funny. Um, can you do it? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people are really uh, crapping on the idea of him going to third base, just because. Well, my my hypothesis is that everybody is so used to seeing Freddie make these amazing plays at uh, first base, and they don't see it really transitioning well to another position. And I can't blame them because. This transition has never been made before. Um, a lot of people that uh, make positional moves 
in the infield. It's usually from short to third or third to second or third to first, such as uh, Ryan Zimmerman. But now it's across the diamond from a place where you normally just catch the ball without making many throws to a position where it's hailed as the hot corner and you know you're gonna hit you're gonna get hit screamers a good percentage of the game and you have to do your best to react in the uh, in the bat of an eye to be able to uh, pick these balls and I mean Freddie's done it at first base you know when you move over to third base um, it's a little bit of a transition it's just more of a read off of the bat seeing the ball which is no different from any other position but it's more about making those long accurate throws across the diamond because third base is it has the potential to be one of the uh, longer throws across the diamond you know and doing it on a consistent basis can be a tough gig if you don't have the footwork that's that's mainly what third base is about it's about the quick first step and good footwork to be able to put yourself in a good throwing position. And Freddie, he seems athletic enough to do that. I mean, I can't put him down without, you know, giving him, you know, the time to adjust because he's he's a professional ball player. I mean, he played third base at the Gulf Coast League, played in high school, so it's not like he's moving sports and playing, um, you know, like, forward in basketball or something like that he's playing baseball which is you know he, he's had the chance to play multiple positions um a lot of these guys have and it doesn't make sense to me to automatically assume that this is a bad move just because um it's a big name guy going to a position where nobody has seen him play before because you, you can't you can't you can't doubt the effort of the ball player, especially of Freeman's caliber, to be able to put in the work to be able to acclimate to a new position, even if it is such a radical change from what we're used to seeing. But you've seen so many guys transition from catcher to you know, reliever or catcher to starting pitcher or shortstop to center field or short to third and, you know, those cases are bad to base it off of, but Freddie, he's he's good. You know, you got to give him a chance, and I, I'm excited to just see what he's capable of um, doing at the hot corner. And the the good thing for him is in recent memory, and that's Ron Washington, who he's done a phenomenal job with in. Um, Johan Camargo, among others, Rio Ruiz, and now he gets to work with a lanky uh, first baseman that he has a similar build to Chris Bryant, who plays all over the diamond, so why not, you know? I think it'll be cool, especially if Matt Adams keeps producing the way he does. Um, it, there's, there's no reason to say that the move would be bad because who will he be replacing in the lineup? Most likely Johan Camargo, who's batting 267 with the 290 on base, uh, one home run, that's about it. So it's not like he's replacing Chipper Jones. I mean, you know, come on. He's, he's replacing a guy who's a rookie utility infielder. 
he's good with the glove. That doesn't really help you out day in and day out. Score more runs than the Nationals, more than the Cubs, more than the Dodgers. You know, you got to have your best bats in there. And Freddie having a little bit more, um, just more of a familiarity playing third base rather than having Matt Adams play left field or right field and just creating more headaches on defense, I think it helps the club overall. And it's interesting to me seeing how many people are saying that, oh, they need to trade Nick Marquez, they need to trade um, Matt Kemp. You know, they gotta, you got to have Freddie at first base. But let me ask you this. In all seriousness, if you had a lineup where you have um, Matt Adams, Johan Camargo, Matt Kemp, and Marquecas, or Freddie Freeman, Johan Camargo, Matt Kemp, Marquecas, you know, who would you have? Like, or or no? Let me let me finish that. Option number three: Matt Adams, Freddie Freeman, Matt Kemp, Nick Marquecas. They're playing in positions they're somewhat familiar with. I'm not going to include Matt Adams in left field. He's not good at all. And for those who say, I'll give him a chance, he's a big body guy. He's 260 on a good day, you know. He's trying to roam a third of the outfield. And I know they have Ender Enciarte in center field who's a gold glover, but he's not going to help with those balls down the line. No, no, he's he's not that fast. And, you know, it, it just seems to me... In, you got to have your best guys in the lineup day in and day out, especially if you have control of them over the next two or three years because, shoot, you want to have the best product. You you can't maneuver around everybody so much and trade those big pieces for prospects and not even know what prospects you want. I mean, let's be honest. A lot of these guys are saying, oh, let's trade Kemp or let's trade Marcakis or Trade Adams. What do you want to trade it for? I mean, seriously. Who do you want to trade it for? Because the only thing that the Braves need is major league talent right now. And unless you get that, there is almost no purpose with getting prospects unless it's the next big thing, like a Mankata or a Benintendi sort of uh, figure or something along those natures. And... We have a lot of guys coming up that are going to fill those roles. So, unless they serve a need right now for the Braves, there's no purpose of trading Matt Adams or a Matt Kemp or Mark Hakes or something along those lines. And that's just my personal opinion, you know? And, you know, that you may not be a big fan of it, but whoop-de-doo, uh, get over it. Uh, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Um, and, yeah. And the last thing, you know, prospects are uncertain. Uh, remember, and this is something I'm going to cover later, but Julio Urias, uh, the Dodgers' prized prospect from the day, from the day he got signed, uh, he received news yesterday, this is uh, Friday, uh, for those listening in next week, this past Friday, he's having surgery on his left anterior capsule, which is his pitching shoulder, and any surgery for a guy that young is... Uh, troubling news, um, especially considering that this is the same surgery that Johan Santana had uh, right before he retired um, with the Mets in 2012. And um, 
that's that's bad to see, especially with a twenty year old. But you know, it's that uncertainty again that prospects have. So why not have sure things instead of lottery tickets? You know, would you rather have five hundred thousand dollars now or the possibility of five hundred thousand dollars? The one in one hundred shot of five hundred thousand or the one in one hundred one in one thousand shot of a million dollars. Let's make it bigger. So, I think I've gone on this long enough. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to see. Um, I'm going to be watching it, definitely. If it, doesn't ha- if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. But I'd like to see it possibly happen. I think that would be cool to see, not only for Braves fans, but for baseball in general. Because that lineup will be get so stinking deep. If they have Freddie Freeman, Matt Adams, and Kemp, along with the budding... Dansby Swanson, you know, Brandon Phillips. I mean, it will just be fun to watch, especially at that launch pad they call SunTrust Park. It's going to be great. So enough of that. Um, Next thing I want to talk about, this is something that Jesse and I, we haven't had a good chance on covering it. That was me drinking water. But this is concerning Aaron Judge and... The phenomenal rookie year that he's having for the Yankees. I mean, this stuff is unprecedented. I mean, when was the last co- last time you saw a guy just torch Yankee Stadium the way he has with bombs all over the field? He hit that one a couple of weeks ago that was 495 feet. Moonshot, man. Like, over the bleachers. You don't see that. I mean, even when... Yankee Stadium opened in 2009. You never saw balls go as far for a right-hand hitter as it is today. You know, it's more of a left-handed hitter's haven rather than being a place where, you know, right-handers would have consistent success launching the ball. And Aaron Judge has proven that wrong, you know. Whether or not the balls are juiced, it's irregardless. The numbers are still ridiculous. Currently, he's batting 329, uh, getting on base at a 437 clip, slugging 694, has 25 home runs and 57 RBIs in 69 games, and it's it's phenomenal. This this guy, the most home runs he had in a season, this is between minors and majors, was 23 last year, and that was over the course of 110 games. No, 120 games, rather. And now he he's leapfrogged that in 69 games, which is really nice to see, you know. Um, I don't... I can't recall the last time I've seen, or if I've ever seen in my lifetime, a guy that has done this sort of damage, at least since Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols, he, he was one of the first guys that took the... He was one of the guys that took the league by storm and hasn't looked back. And I'm not saying that Aaron Judge is going to be the next Albert Pujols, but he's someone to watch become possibly the next Albert Pujols because he's hit the ball hard. He's leading the league in hard contact percentage. He's had, and keep in mind, hard contact percentage ranges from year to year uh, based on metrics is weird. But he's has a hard contact percentage of 49 and. 0.7%, almost 50% of his balls that he hits is like 90 plus miles an hour. And, you know, he strikes out a bit, but that's just the way it is nowadays. 
However, he's he's undoubtedly entered his name as a front runner for the MVP. The guy he's held his own in right field, um, average defender, but his money is with that bat. And a lot of people have compared him with Giancarlo Stanton, but I think overall he's better than Stanton just because of the fact that he's been able to hit for average and get on base at such a high clip that he has. He's walking 15% of his plate appearances, held his own in right field, like I said, hit bombs consistently, but he hits for average, which is the separator from um, Stanton because Stanton has never done that, and Stanton is the highest paid ball player in baseball. He had that $325 million contract, I believe. Or no, it's $300 million. Regardless, it's overpriced and you know this is something we're going to talk about later uh spoiler alert but judges he, he's helped unleash a renaissance in the bronx him and so many other guys that nobody expected to contribute the way they have like jordan montgomery uh luis severino starlin castro aaron hicks brett gardner Didi gregorius Matt Holliday, the list goes on and on. They have Chapman back. They have Tyler Clippard, Batansis. The Yankees are legit, guys. I don't know if you've noticed, but the Yankees, they have a chance to continue with the guy to continue to surprise with the guys they have. They faltered a little bit, but their solid pitching is starting. Their starting pitching is solid. They have a deep lineup that hits for average, hits home runs, uh, steals bases. Bullpen is pretty pretty good for the most part. They're tied with the uh, Red Sox right now who have bounced back as of late, but the Red Sox don't hit for power like the Yankees do. And we may, we, I don't know if we can see or expect to see Aaron Judge go off for the 56 home runs or break that, uh, the real home run record of 61 by Roger Maris. But, you know, he, he can easily hit 47 and be considered one of the greatest rookie seasons of all time. And I can't put it past him. Nobody else has solved him yet on a consistent basis where people are going to say, oh, he's he's just a glimpse in the pan, you know, a little sparkle in the eye, he'll go away. I don't think so. I think he's here to stay. Um, I think he's going to hit some monster bombs the rest of the way. Um, four or five years down the road, I can't really say for sure because the injury factor and whatever happens, happens. I mean, we saw with Jose Fernandez, he just got taken away just like that because of a stupid stupid mistake he did. And I say enjoy it while we can. Yankees are really good right now. Um, as as a team, the record in the last 10 is not good, but there's still a team to watch, a team that will entertain, and a team that we could see in the postseason, which hasn't happened in the last few years. And I think that can um, be a good thing to see for baseball. Um, especially for those people that want MLB to make money because they broadcast so many Yankees games on Fox. 
it's pretty ridiculous, but it hasn't happened as... The talk for the Yankees hasn't happened as much as it has in the past since Teixeira retired, A-Rod retired, Jeter retired, Mo Mariano Rivera retired. It hasn't been the same, but I think it's good for baseball just to see these ragtag kids, kids that weren't really wanted by other teams, and this um, mainly is associated with Didi, Aaron Hicks, Castro, and Holiday. These were guys that nobody else wanted, and they're making the best of it. So it's it's awesome, and seeing Judge just do it as a rookie leading the way is is fun to behold. He's a good personality. He's f- fun to um, watch do interviews. He's very solid, uh, level-headed, uh, hasn't been bit by the ego bug yet that is prominent in the Bronx, but um, enjoy it while you can. You know, it's awesome to see. Um, but in the nation's capital, they have a big dilemma right now. Despite being a first-place team in the National League East, and this is mainly associated with their bullpen, which is one of the worst in baseball. They've had three different people pitch in the ninth inning, and all of them have been awful. Uh, it all started with Sean no it was Blake Trinan Blake Trinan started out and um, that blew up extremely quickly uh, th- next they had Sean Kelly who was pitching in the ninth, and he suffered similar fates uh, got lit up then Coda Glover who looked good for two games everybody was excited to see that the ninth inning was nailed down and the Nats were going to be Solid in the back end of the bullpen. He has a five and a half ERA right now, and he is currently on the DL with a back injury. Um, which, if you've never heard the story, it was from bending down to pick up soap, which I fully empathize because I've done that bending out to get out of a car. I threw my back out, and it's terrible. But he has a five point one two ERA, um, trying in five point six three. Sean Kelly has a seven, and that's just, that's bad because wasn't it two years? Yeah, last year they had one of the better bullpens in the game with three of those guy, those three guys, and Mark Melanson, who they really tried to get back this past offseason when he was a free agent, but they were outbid by the Giants uh, to the surprise of a lot of people, and now they're in a big dilemma because now their ninth inning role is going to I believe Matt Albers I'm only saying this because he's the best pitcher they have right now in regards to ERA now get this, it's Matt Albers Matt Albers, big Matt Albers, Uh, if you've ever seen a picture of him, he's he's, he can be similar to Fat Albert, I mean he's 6'1 225 he seems bigger than that, though. He seems like 6'1", 250, 34 years old. He's been in the league forever. He broke into the bigs back in 2006 with the Astros, and now he's in the back end of the bullpen for the Nats trying to nail down saves for Dusty Baker, who I'm surprised hasn't just... <laughs> 
had a stress attack yet. I don't want to say heart attack because nobody needs to go through a heart attack, but he's he's had a sh- I haven't I haven't seen him have a stress attack yet, which to the point where he's throwing stuff in the dugout. And um, if I, a lot of people that would be in his role would be having stress attacks on a nightly basis, and possibly end up at the hospital. Sadly. Because this bullpen is bad all the way through. They only have three guys. Three guys with an ERA under four. Um, and then that's terrible. Because, I mean, regardless of where you put it, the Nationals had one of the better bullpen ERAs last year with Trine and Sean Kelly, uh, Coda Glover, Cody, Coda Glover, excuse me, and Mr. Mark Melanson. But now they're rated as one of the worst, third worst, uh, right ahead of the Twins and Tigers. And a lot of people are saying, and this is mainly fans saying this, that they need to go out and make a move, get that guy, find the back end, uh, stopper. But nobody is selling yet. A lot of people are still holding on and... It's, it's near the end of June. A lot of people still think they have a chance. And for the most part, they're right. But nobody's selling. And, you know, that's that puts the Nationals in a bind. Because they may have to wait until mid-July before people begin to start selling. And each game is extremely important to the Nationals to be able to have that home field advantage, be able to clinch that number one spot in the National League because they have the Dodgers, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Rockies to contend with in the West who are all playing superb baseball right now. And the Nationals need to find that lynch pin just before the stress of night in, night out, having a lot of question marks whether or not they're going to save the game whether or not they're going to have the lead blown that late it wears on people i mean it's sort of like getting so close to winning uh what's that game um like the price is right winning one of those games or like making that putt on the golf course and missing by half an inch you know that could have won you the round won you the title or whatever you know that that can wear on you after a while especially with baseball and these guys stand around at their positions and it's completely out of the control they're relying on a guy on the mound such as a Sean Kelly or a Blake Trinan to get out of a jam but there's no certainty that they can get the nine hole hitter out and Dusty Baker, he can't really do too much right now. This is more of a front office decision on who they can afford to trade and get the key pieces they need back. And if you don't remember, they got rid of a lot of pieces to be able to get, you know, a guy such as where they traded uh, three people for Adam Eaton. And that got rid of three of their top prospects with uh, Dane Dunning, Renato Lopez, and Giolito, 
and then Adam Eaton went out for the season with a torn ACL. And while that hasn't been a big um, detriment to the Nationals as a whole, they lost three prized prospects that could have been trade pieces to be able to nail that late-inning reliever, such as, you know, a guy like an Iglesias or even better. Um, So now they have to gather pieces from within their farm and really sell it to be able to get someone that's worth a darn for the back end of their bullpen. And, you know, there are some guys that they could go for, at least for short-term rentals, and then try to figure out their bullpen issues in the uh, offseason with free agency. They can look at a guy like uh, Pat Neshek uh, with the Phillies. He's on a one-year deal, has a .61 ERA. Addison Reed is another option. The Mets are beginning to sell as of um, this past Friday. And, you know, he's he's a guy that's pitched well in his Mets tenure, has a solid fastball slider uh, combo, can put guys away in the ninth. He did it while uh, Yuri's Familia was on the DL. They have Brad Hand, who still has two years of control, and he's been one of the best relievers in the game, especially as a strikeout artist after being... Um, someone who was relegated to nothing more than two outs a few years back. Um, they have Tommy Canley, three years of control before free agency. I don't, I mean, if I were the White Sox, I'd go for it because relievers such have a short shelf life nowadays. If you think about all the people that had those phenomenal years and then had, and then just fell off of the face of the planet, you know, it happens, and it's a great way for the White Sox to continue their rebuild. Uh, Rysel Iglesias, he has four years, $14.5 million. He's had some arm problems, especially with his uh, shoulder. He's had to have that cleaned out, um, deal with bone spurs and all that. But he could be a guy at least help with this season. And the Nationals, they need to they need to break that um they need to break that cycle of getting to the playoffs and getting knocked out in the first round because it's happened three years now, four years, three years, 2012, 2014, 2016. And that's a bad cycle to um, continue to do with a fan base like the Nats who they were, they were relegated to about seven years of bad baseball from the time the Nationals moved to Washington from Montreal. And then when they made the playoffs in 2012, a lot of people thought that they were going to be a uh, champion that year just because of the team they had. They had a 19-year-old Bryce Harper, a bunch of studs, Adam LaRoche. They didn't have Steven Strasburg, though, which I'm sure takes them off to this day. But even then, the Nationals need to find something soon. Um, They need to really push the chips forward and say, hey, we need to get this guy now. Especially if you're a guy like Dusty Baker, you're not, you don't have many more shots to get a World Series. I mean, he's, he's getting up there with age, close to 70, I believe, right now. And he's running out of chances because with each passing year, you know, I'm sure it kills him not being able to get back to October baseball and get that coveted championship, be able to hold that up. 
and you know the bullpen is the issue if, if the bullpen gets solved nationals are one of the best teams in baseball but right now they have some work to do to be able to retool the um the relief core so next uh we're gonna look at the nl west which is like i said um the diamondbacks dodgers rockies they are playing phenomenal baseball. Each team has a win percentage above 600. Dodgers currently lead the way with a record of 49 and 26, and they're two and a half games ahead of both the Rockies and the Diamondbacks, who are leading the whole wild card chase. And it's really awesome to see. With the Dodgers, you sort of expected it. I mean, they've been to the playoffs last three years running, and they, they have a solid team, solid um, sophomore campaigns by Corey Seager. Um, Cody Bellinger is on another planet right now. He's leading the National League in home runs, which nobody would have believed if you uttered that in a spring camp for the Dodgers. But their pitching's still good. Kershaw hasn't been the strikeout artist, but he's still averaging around nine. Uh, per nine innings, nine Ks per nine innings, that is. Kenley Jansen has been out of this world. As a whole, this this Dodgers team, they've played really, really good. But the most surprising thing is that the Diamondbacks and the Rockies are staying toe-to-toe um, weekend, day in and day out in that National League West. And... Keep in mind, the Diamondbacks, they, they're coming off of possibly one of the worst trades in recent memory from a lot of analysts' positions when they acquired Shelby Miller for Dansby Swanson, Ender Inciarte, who's won a gold glove, and Aaron Blair, who's um, hasn't been as expected, but he's he a lot of people have high upside, high regards for him. But those two pieces, Dansby Swanson and Endurance Ciarte, for Shelby Miller, that by itself has been a steal so far because Shelby has dealt with injuries, mechanical issues, um, not psychological issues, I was about to say that, but more just, he, he's not the guy that he was with the Braves, not the guy that he was with the Cardinals. when He was pretty average with the Cardinals. But... They got rid of Dave Stewart, who I would say deserves the title of worst GM in the past 15 years just because of all the moves that he um, did with the Diamondbacks franchise. He got rid of countless guys. He's gotten rid of he's gotten rid of um, Adam Eaton. He's gotten rid of numerous others. I can't really think of them off the top of my head right now. But he's done a less than stellar job. He gave that contract to Zach Granke for two hundred million dollars, which, while Granke's pitching well last uh, this pat this current year, last year he wasn't his best. And you know, the Diamondbacks they they've done pretty well. Uh, Goldschmidt is killing it right now from um, the perspective of you know. Him being an overall complete player, he's batting 332 right now with 18 home runs. Jake Lamb is still putting together solid numbers, has 16 home runs. David Peralta, 
He's one of the uh, top hitters in average over the course of this season. He's batting 330. Brandon Drury, um, Chris Owings, AJ Pollock. He's coming back from a groin injury, but when he's healthy, he's he can be a solid um, major league guy. But this pitching staff for the Diamondbacks, it's it's continued to develop and be a solid rotation one through five. Robbie Witt Ray is striking out 11 per nine. He has a 2.87 ERA, which is light years of an improvement from this year he had last year. Uh, Taiwan Walker, he got acquired in the Gene Segura trade. And Taiwan Walker, a lot of people have, they had been given up on him just because he was so hyped up in the minor leagues with the Mariners and didn't find that success there. He has a 3.43 ERA, almost nine uh, strikeouts per nine innings. Patrick Corbin, he's slowly improving. Uh, Zach Godley, he has a 2.53 ERA in nine games. Um, great walk rate, great strikeout rate. And even the bullpen, if you look at the bullpen, they're the same They're the same thing where they've added pieces to be able to take that next step in their development. Because for contenders to be able to win a title, get a playoff spot, they need a good bullpen. You've seen that this year. Um, you've seen it in past years. Bullpens nowadays, you need that shut down 7, 8, and 9 to be able to win games on a consistent basis. And there are three guys with the Diamond X that are performing extremely well. Um, and that all starts with quote-unquote relief ace Archie Bradley, who I was surprised to see go to the bullpen, um, especially after he was hailed as one of the best starting prospects in baseball the top prospect in the Diamondback system and now he's a relief ace but that's another story for another day but he has a 110 ERA uh, Andrew Chafin is another guy striking out almost 13 per nine 185 ERA and you know it goes on and on they have solid pieces the seven eight and nine guys TJ McFarland's another one he's pitched solid so far 199 ERA but the Diamondbacks as a whole they're they play in an extremely hitter-friendly ballpark, but that's not the thing that catches my attention. Like I said, it's that it's that bullpen, it's that starting rotation. The fact that one through five, they have competent starters for the first time since 2012 when they were in the uh, National League Division Series. And that's a while back, guys. And, you know... The Diamondbacks, especially for Paul Goldschmidt, Paul Goldschmidt's been around for a while, and he's one of the best players in baseball, extremely underrated, doesn't get the attention that he deserves, um, at least from my ideology, because a lot of guys nowadays, they get celebrated for pimping the home runs, whatever, but Goldschmidt is a, he's a ball player, hits for average, and I know ball player is a relegated term that's overused nowadays, but he hits for home runs, he hits average, he steals bases for a first baseman. He's on pace for a 30-30 season, which is something that we typically don't see. Last person we saw that um, happen for was Jeff Bagwell, I believe. 
and that's something special. Jeff Bagwell is one of the best first basemen of all time, uh, regardless if you think he did steroids or not. But, yeah, Jeff Bagwell, a Hall of Famer, and, you know, that's a complete ball player, and it, it's awesome to see um, Goldschmidt do the stuff that he does. And, of course, we got we got to keep on going with the Rockies, who have surprised everybody, not with their starting rotation, but more their bullpen. Their bullpen has always been one that was one of the worst in baseball, and now they have guys that they, they're doing the stuff that the Rockies need to get wins, and that's with ground balls and strikeouts. Greg Holland, he he's the, um, the leader of that. He's saved 25 games, uh, league leader, striking out almost 12 per nine, 163 ERA. And this is coming off of Tommy John surgery after he got released by the Royals. And he had a tryout, which got a lot of views from a lot of scouts. And he's pitching in cores like he's an Eric Gagne or something along that line. And he's complimented by guys such as Chris Rusin and Jake McGeehue. They're also solid eight and nine inning guys. Jake McGee last year was the closer, and he got lit up uh, with the six ERA. But even then, he he's bounced back, uh, posting a two sixty seven ERA right now. And but even then, you know, pitching. When do you hear the Rockies pitch? It seems like the only times that the Rockies win is when they pitch, which makes sense, considering that Rockies play in such a, the best, the most hitter-friendly ballpark in the entire uh, MLB. And the rotation, it's been hit or miss for the most part. The biggest surprise for me has been Jeff Hoffman, who's been the strikeout king for them so far. He's only made six starts, but he's had... 14 strikeout performances against the Padres, pitched well against the Dodgers. Uh, Herman Marquez, he's one of the better ones. Kyle Freeland, a prospect. He pitches more for contact, but he gets the ball on the ground at a 60% rate, which is extremely good. And that's exactly what the Rockies need. You know, they, they can still hit. They still have they still have guys like Charlie Blackman, who's a front runner for MVP. Um, Nolan Arenado, who is the best third baseman in the National League. Um, yeah, even better than Chris Bryant. Uh, come at me, bro. Mark Reynolds, he's done well since he moved over to Coors. And, you know, it's like a match made in heaven for him. It, I bet he was wondering, why didn't I go to the Rockies when I first got released by the Diamondbacks? Why didn't I go there Or after he went to the uh, the Orioles when he had a chance, you know? Because he's he's hitting the living tar out of the ball, and he he's such a fly ball heavy hitter, which a lot of guys are nowadays. But he's hitting dingers at a phenomenal rate. Uh, one of the best batting averages in his career, highest on base, long time. And get this, he's striking out only twenty six percent of the time. And for perspective purposes, because I like to give perspective. The last before last before his Rockies stint, the lowest uh, strikeout percentage he had with a major league club was 28. In that year, was 2015, batted 230. 
And, you know, the Rockies, they're always going to hit, but if they keep pitching the way they do, it's going to be an interesting race. I think, the, I think honestly, that the Rockies are going to fall out after a while just because they have such young pitching and they don't want to ruin their future. Let's be honest. They've, they've had so many hits and misses with, like, one-year wonders. They can't afford to lose a couple of arms and then they're back to square one because they don't have the depth in their um, minor league system to replenish their starting pitching. All of their minor league depth is at the major league level. So I think it'll be more focused on the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. And the Diamondbacks can make a trade for another bullpen piece to be able to take them to that next level. They have their seven, eight, and nine guys, but they need some long relief. That's their biggest um, need right now for the Diamondbacks. And I think that'll be the one thing that'll help them make a push to take over the um, take over the Dodgers. So that's my thought. And it, it's going to be interesting. I, I like... I like all three teams. The fact that there are three teams with a 600 winning percentage in the National League West is befuddling to me because a lot of people thought that the Mets were going to make their pushback and, of course, Syndergaard and his stubbornness ruined that. People thought the Cubs were going to be this all-hailing, one of the best teams ever. They're a game above 500. But for now, even if it is only 75 games to the season, they're doing things that nobody else can fathom and for now we'll go on to injury news um, the biggest news I heard outside of Urias was the, the uh, news that Trout is aiming to come back near the all-star break and this is particularly big news for Angels fans because they've done well without Mike Trout yeah shocking right They've they've been around the 500 mark since he got hurt back in uh, mid-May with that uh, torn UCL into some. It might be late May, but regardless of that, they're 38 and 39, two and a half back of the wild card. And guess who's leading the wild? Who's the second team in the wild card? Guess. I bet you wouldn't guess that it would be the Tampa Bay Rays. They're a half game over the Minnesota Twins, and Tampa Bay is not really the best team in there. They've had some surprises, uh, Logan Morrison and Corey Dickerson, who's tearing the cover off the ball. He's batting 330-something right now. I don't have the stats in front of me. But the Angels, if they can get a trout back and continue to have guys like Pujols, Cameron Maven, he's been solid. Eric Young, he's been a good fill-in in the role, but he could add some speed to their bench. Um, they don't have much pitching, but Mike Trout can take him to another level. You know, he's he's one of the leaders, league leaders in WAR for this year among all position players, and he's been out five, six weeks now. Yeah, five or six weeks. And, you know, Mike Trout is one of those guys that even if he doesn't make it to the Hall of Fame, just what we're seeing right now, you know, it's good enough to the point where I think that he will um, be hailed as one of the better players of all time. 
and you know there's no ifs ands or buts about it because he's a five tool player you know you do so many things and for a team for you to win and you know having that sort of uh, having that sort of energy come back especially for a face of the franchise like Mike Trout that's irreplaceable and um, you know 337 batting average 461 OBP 742 slugging he's out he's out slugging Aaron Judge and you know while he only played 47 games that's still a big freaking deal um, because he could easily have five MVPs right now if it wasn't for Miguel Cabrera and for the uh, value of the most valuable player being relegated by writers to only being people on um, winning teams. But on that note, that's going to be huge to see uh, Mike Trout come back, uh, Freddie Freeman, of course, coming back in that same time period, maybe a few weeks later. Uh, And that'll be good for baseball, just because there'll be two of the bright young stars of the game today being able to come back and be able to do the amazing things that they do. And with that injury news, we'll go on to a quick read that I uh, took note about. Was uh, It was a cool article by John Heyman thinking that uh, new ownership will trade Giancarlo Stanton and it talked about different situations that could call for a plausible trade of Stanton and one of those was the Marlins eating a hundred million dollars. Yeah, gross, right? A hundred million dollars and making him more maneuverable for the Marlins, the Marlins to trade for younger guys. And I could see him being traded for that. But there's also talk of having him being teamed up with a guy like a Marcel Ozuna or a Christian Yelich or some other young stud to be able to load him off. And I'd rather do point A rather than point B but again it depends on the package a lot of these a lot of teams right now especially for contenders they really don't have the form to be able to afford a guy like a Mike Stanton the guys with the bigger farms they're more of the rebuilding teams like the Braves um, a team like the White Sox so I can't really see somebody getting so giddy where they unload everything for a Giancarlo Stanton who he hits bombs that's cool and all he plays a good right field but he doesn't hit for average strikes out a lot he's not really good in the clutch he has slow bat speed slow bat speed if you ever see him face 95 inside unless he's like dipping out uh, like stepping in the bucket and trying to pull out he's not going to hit it I'm that's just that's just the way he is. His swing relies on so much torque and starting early that he doesn't have a chance of good good sliders, and that's why one of the main reasons why I don't think that he's one of the best players, regardless of how much he's getting paid. He strikes out a lot. He he doesn't. I, I saw him in the the World Baseball Classic, and it was the same issue that I've been harping on him for the last couple of years, even even before he got injured. You know he. He's susceptible to good breaking balls, good off speed. You know, he's a mistake hitter. That's his thing. He's not going to beat you by, you know, working the count to the point and, you know, getting that good pitch. He's going to get that mistake that you leave over the middle of the plate. 
and he'll be able to kill it. And that's the only case. Well, he's having a good year right now, you know. That's it's not good enough to hail, you know, him the three hundred million dollar man. But regardless, you know, very few people can say that. So I thought it was interesting. Uh, Heyman did a good story on that. Uh, I have two more things before I want to uh, wrap up. One is an observation that I made uh, this past week. And if you guys don't remember, this is um, an instance that happened between the Mets and the Dodgers where Yasiel Puig homered um, against the Mets. And it was a three-run bomb. that was like 430 feet. But he pimped it. Uh, he, like, took five steps and, you know, pimped it. Got yelled at by Wilmer Flores, and he cussed back with uh, a national, with the uh, uh, national word for fun, like fun you, or fondue, uh, bad at reading lips. But then he got greeted at home, uh, had a talking to with uh, Anthony Recker. They weren't happy. But on on top of Wilmer Flores, you know, not being happy, there were discussions being held between Puig, Jose Reyes, and Yoenis Cespedes. And, you know, Yoenis Cespedes, he, he can tend to hot dog on a home run um, every now and then. But, and this is not something that I want to make a big deal, but this is more just about culture. Because a lot of Latin American cultures, you know, they're known for their flamboyance um, with home runs. You saw that with the World Baseball Classic, Team Puerto Rico, Team Venezuela, Team Dominican Republic. They they would all, you know, get real excited with their home runs. And, you know, Puig's the same case in, in this instance, but he's being uh, confronted by two of his uh, uh, Latin um, colleagues and you know, I'd assume they were discussing the home run unless it was him cussing out at the first baseman uh, for the Mets. But even then, you know, that's not something that you particularly see. You know, usually it's the, uh, the um, like, the American ballplayers that tend to say, oh, yo, we don't, we don't like that. We, that's disrespectful. That's, that's garbage. Don't do that. But... To me, it was just interesting to see the confrontation being between Cespedes, Reyes, and Puig. Well, whether or not it may be about the home run, maybe it's about cussing, you know. It was just interesting. Um, if, if it was about the home run pimp, maybe it's something where it, it's just the, the disrespect that they felt, you know. Um, and I, I think... I think it could say, I don't know if it'll be something that'll be worth something looking down the road, but it's it's just interesting nonetheless to see um, the interaction between Puig and um, some of the Latin opponents that he's faced and the disrespect that they felt um, just with Puig's um, antics in this moment. So one last thing. Um, this is something I'm going to do for the next few weeks, even and if I have the chance to work with uh, Jesse, just because our schedules are so different. And this is going to be focused around one of the best players of all time, and that's Babe Ruth. Looking at Babe Ruth on his baseball reference page, 
He has um, only one MVP to his name, and I found that shocking. But looking even further, he's only had MVP votes in three different seasons. That was 1923, 1924, uh, 1926. No, that was 19, yeah, 1923, 26, and there was one other one. Let me see if I can find it very quick. Yeah, 1920. No, actually, it was 1923, 1931, and 1932. And those weren't even his best years. So years such as his uh, 60 home run season with Murderer's Row, nothing. Uh, a season where he had 54 at the age of 33, nothing. And it intrigued me. So I wanted to look uh, and just see the years that Baseball Reference had available and take notice of who won those awards that year. Like, who deserved more votes than Babe Ruth? And I'm going to go through a couple of these guys and just some of the stats that they put up just to see, you know, if it is even comparable. And I can already tell you it's not. So we'll start off with 1924. Uh, Babe Ruth that year, he... Batted 378 with a 513 on base, a 739 slugging, um, led the league in OPS, OPS plus, uh, losing track. Hit 46 home runs, scored 143 runs, and his uh, WAR that year, for those who love WAR, it was 9.3. Age 29 season, so 1924 didn't receive any votes that year. The winner. That year was Walter Johnson, uh, which is a Hall of Famer, 23 and 7, 272 ERA, 158 strikeouts, and 277 innings pitched. Well, that doesn't seem a lot, you know. Uh, news reports were weird back then. Second place, second place was Eddie Collins with a 349 on base or 349 batting average, 441 on base, a 5.2 WAR, stole 42 bases, which is good. Uh, Charlie Jamison was third with Cleveland Indians. Uh, batted 359, 407 on base, three home runs, 21 stolen bases, a 4.0 war. And here's where it gets weird. So there's a guy named, and excuse my pronunciation, uh, a Hank Severide. I don't even know what team he's with. It's only highlighted as SLB. And I think SLB, what is SLB? S oh, the St. Louis Browns. Yeah, the St. Louis Browns, who became defunct in the mid-30s. He batted 308-362, only four home runs, 36 walks, 2.1 war. Three home runs, and he, no, four home runs, and he had more votes than Babe Ruth. And it just keeps getting weirder, guys. Uh, Matty Ruel, he got seven votes for the Washington Senators. Batted 283, no home runs, 57 RBIs, war of 2.2, more votes than Babe Ruth. Al Simmons, he's a Hall of Famer, uh, 308, 343 on base, eight home runs, 102 runs batted in, war of 1.5, more votes than Babe Ruth. Wally Gerber with the St. Louis Browns, batted 272, 341 on base, no home runs, 55 RBIs. War of 0.0, .0. more votes than Babe Ruth. 
And get this. So the guy that received the last vote in the AL MVP voting was a guy named Ken Williams with the St. Louis Browns. Batted 324, 425 on base, 533 slugging, 18 home runs, 84 RBIs. Got fewer votes than his contemporaries, uh, Hank Severide, uh, Wally Gerber. And he had better numbers than all of them. Um, and there, uh, just another interesting note, there is a guy that received 11 votes for the St. Louis Browns. His name was Baby Doll Jacobson. I did it with the accent just to uh, highlight how old and retro that name is. And one more. Gosh. It's just befuddling. Yeah, one more. Uh, Chick Galloway with the Philadelphia Athletics. 276, 311 on base. Uh, two home runs, 48 RBIs. These are ridiculous. I mean, all these guys receive more votes than Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth did not receive one. And it's just funny to see just... If this was today, of course they'd be outraged, but this is a different time and there were different standards for voters back then um, you know not as much TV so not as much exposure even if the numbers of Babe Ruth were so phenomenal um, compared to his contemporaries he was still held in lesser regard as an MVP than everybody else on this list so this is something that I'll be doing for the next few weeks just to highlight how ridiculous this all is and how times have changed and that's the beauty of baseball there's so much change in the game day in and day out today what we deem as important is not going to be important 10 years from now or 15 years from now and you know that's that's the beauty of baseball and the beauty of um, the game in general is that it's continually transforming and you know there's a romanticism about it so at with that um, emails, email us some questions um, we'll aim to answer uh, just a little do a little inbox thing have some interaction so I'm going to definitely push this so if you're listening please have some questions listed um, email that to stealingfirstpod at gmail.com that's all spelled out stealingfirstpod at gmail.com so for that I'm going to say adieu, farewell, so long to you, Uh, have a good week wherever you are, and uh, looking forward to talking baseball again soon. All right, bye.